afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's Rob Port here on WDAY. 701-293-9000 is your call-in number. 888-970-9329. I don't know if you people have heard, but it's, uh, it's election day today. Yeah. No way! Yeah. Our long national nightmare is over. Well, not yet. You say that, and then there's the, uh, and then there's always the post-election analysis, and then, uh, and then you know, and then you, and then we all just got to govern, right? Um, Chris Kurzman had a had a great, uh, he had a column, a uh, forum columnist, uh, Chris Kurzman. He had a column today about the election, and he he wrote that when it started, uh, he had a he had an infant. And and now he's got a toddler, and uh, his his other kid, his older kid, went from kindergarten to second grade. Um, that's how long this whole process has been, which really kind of brought it home for me. It really is a long, dreary process. And, and actually, election day I think is my least favorite part of the entire cycle, just because it seems like today it's all everybody just sitting around anxiously waiting for the results to start coming in. It seems like all the last minute messaging is just sort of desperate and out of left field. Uh, there's always there's always these, these picayune scandals about so and so election worker didn't do this exactly right or uh, somebody was whatever and it's it's usually all bogus and nonsense and I hate it and I'm always glad when it's done and uh, you know we could get on and, and maybe start talking about policy anyway guy who's uh, on the ballot tonight uh, who I think is going to win. He'll tell me. I'm going to ask Doug Burgum here in a moment if uh, if he's going to win tonight. He's going to tell me he's taking nothing for granted, and I'm going to tell you the guy's going to win because I, I just think that's the outcome. Doug, how's it going? It's going great, Rob, and I, I do have one Election Day surprise for you. Oh, you do? Yeah, and that's what I've got. Uh, just happened to have my running mate, Lieutenant, uh, uh, next Lieutenant Governor of North Dakota, Brent Sanford, also on the phone, so Brent's here. So oh, wow. Hi, Rob, how both. are you? Good, good. Glad to have you both on. So, gentlemen, you feeling pretty confident heading into the evening? Well, I think we said all along we don't want to take anything for granted, so we've been, yeah. you know, working uh, as hard as ever right up right up through today. Uh, but, but like uh, I'm sure a lot of your listeners, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're we're feel confident about tonight, but we're anxious to get a chance to serve the serve the citizens of North Dakota. So we're we're going in tonight with optimism, and we're going into it with a lot of energy about getting started on uh, tackling the big opportunities in front of North Dakota. Let me ask you, there's a couple of things that the, whoever wins this election, and I, I think it's more than likely going to be you, but whoever wins, uh, there's there's something, there's a couple of big issues that are going to be dropped in their lap right away. Um, and so m- maybe you could tell us, for instance, the Dakota Access Pipeline, have you been in on the briefings on this? Um, you know, you're going to be taking over uh, in December. You're obviously going to be getting ready for a budget address. Uh, you're going to be getting ready for a new legislative session. Um, but you're also going to have to, you know, you're going to have a situation down in South Central North Dakota that that may not be resolved yet. Uh, have you been briefed on this? Have you been kept in the loop? Uh, are you uh, are, are you are you ready for that situation? Well, on, on the briefing piece, first again, I think the the current administration has been appropriate in the sense that we're candidates. Brent and I are citizens just like you are. Uh, we've had no uh, access to any special information. Uh, that anybody else would have. I expect that access to information will change somewhat when we're, uh, if we are successful tonight and become governor and lieutenant governor elect. So we'll have another another layer of information. Uh, but you know, right now we've just been you know following it closely, and and I feel like there's been uh, you know there's been some progress, and I, I'm still optimistic that uh, there's a, there could be a major progress made on this before 
uh, Brent and I would take office on December 15th. A year ago, I don't think that there were many people, myself included, who would have predicted that on Election Day you would be on the eve of, of being elected the governor of the state of North Dakota. How did you get here? T- tell us tell us, tell us, us how you got here. Well, you know, it, it all starts with, uh, you know, support from those people closest to you, family members and, and friends. Uh, and it, take, it took a, you know, a leap of faith and a risk at the beginning. Uh, you know, there, you, as you say, people didn't expect to see uh, us here now, and they didn't expect uh, uh, back in January when we announced, which was under 300 days ago, that we were going to win. Uh, but, it, you know, and it takes people like, uh, you know, Brent to, you know, sign on board, take the courage to, uh, uh, you know, bring some breadth and depth to the ticket, and then it takes a lot of hard work. And, that, you know, part, and, and along the way, we're so grateful for all the people that have, the supporters, the volunteers, the voters, everybody that's jumped in and helped us. It's been it's been amazing. North Dakota is an amazing place and we're grateful for all the people that have been that are there supporting us. 701-293-9000 if you want to join the program 888-970-9329. Uh what sort of we we've obviously had, you know, Governor Hoven and then you know, our current governor Jack Dalrymple was a member of the Hoven administration, so Going back to 2000, it almost feels like we've had a real continuity of of leadership in in the governor's office. First with Governor Hoven, and then Lieutenant Governor Dalrymple standing, uh, you know, stepping up, uh, getting his own term in office. Do you what what sort of changes? I mean, as as you take office, if you win tonight, as you take office, what sort of changes can North Dakotans expect from you? Well, I think. What you'll what you'll see first is is of course that we're you know again getting focused on getting through today, uh, but uh, successful today we'll be holding a press conference tomorrow one o'clock and talk a little bit about some of our ideas on uh, on transition, and one of one of the high level themes is of course Brent and I both come from the private sector, uh, we both have got a lot of uh, experience at the local level. Brent is a mayor, uh, me with the work that we've done here, you know creating jobs and trying to build stronger communities. And, and I think you can expect to see us, uh, you know, be focusing on empowering local leaders, and you can see us focusing on trying to get people with private sector experience to join us in uh, transforming North Dakota state government. Uh, Mr. Sanford, uh, Doug brought you on to the ticket, and, and he just told us that, that you brought some, some depth to the ticket. Explain to us, what, what, what have you brought, do you, do you think, to, to the Burgum sanford ticket that's helped it be successful? Well, thanks, Rob. I would say, you know, the experience the last 10 years on city council and as mayor the last six in Monster City with uh, uh, responding to a lot of challenges with the growth in the energy sector in, in Watford City and McKinsey County. We saw growth that has now been recognized uh, four times from 1,700 to 6,700 people just in Watford City, and with that brought a lot of challenges. We had to keep the taxes reasonable. We had to keep the the rate of property tax increases at a normal level people expect while the while the property tax was increasing, the, the assessments are increasing 40%. The tax base itself is increasing, but not fast enough with the challenges. We had to do a lot of creative things. We have new public buildings that need to be financed. We have uh, new, new housing that need to be find a place to put it with new infrastructure to it, and how do you get that infrastructure in the ground? A lot to manage. So I've got I've got a lot of uh, in the game in, in the actual building of a community in Watford City and in the in the challenging energy sector in the state and. So I tell you what, I'm really looking forward to working with Doug as a, a new leader for this changing economy and a Main Street initiative. Really hit home for me. The people need to live somewhere to build this economy and diversify the economy. They need to live somewhere, and that's, that's in cities. And we're, and we're good to go. We're really excited to move forward. 
Doug, uh, obviously, and this is the last question, we have a, a national election going on as well. It's been a contentious one. You've endorsed Donald Trump uh, in that, although I, I take it, and you can certainly correct me if I'm wrong, uh, somewhat reluctantly. Uh, what, what sort of implications do you think if, if, you know, obviously if you win, you're going to be the leader of North Dakota, but North Dakota part of a, a union of, of 50 states. W- what sort of implications do you think the national election is going to have for North Dakota um, regardless of who wins? Well, I, I think the uh, the federal government has so much impact on North Dakota, whether it's on energy policy, education policy, healthcare policy, that it's uh, we've, it's really blurred. You know what the role of a state is, and one thing that I believe is that that you know part of the reason we created fifty states was that each state was a represented an, uh, a platform for innovation. Uh, it represented a, a, an incubator for democracy, however you want to describe it. But if if, if the whole role of a state is just to implement. Of federal programs, and in many cases, federal programs that are not actuarially sound, they're not uh, economically designed for a rural state like ours, you know, then you sort of say, what's the point of the state? And I, and I do think there is at least a movement among, among governors of both parties to basically fight back and say, hey, look, we, we have to have some, we have to have more control at the state level. We have to, if we want to innovate. And, and during a period of rapid change, which we're in right now, the most rapid change that this country's ever faced if you're in, if you're in the private sector, if you're in a period of rapid change, you want to push decision making out to the front lines to the people closest to the customers and closest to the problems, so that they can make those decisions. And as a country, we need to do the same thing during a period of rapid change. We got to push decision making down. And it seems like that you know, under the present administration, uh, everybody wants to pull all the decision making and make it central. And it's just it's just those things are an impossibility given the the scale and the complexity that we're dealing with. So I. I, uh, whoever's in office, we're going to, you know, keep fighting to make sure that North Dakota can uh, can chart its own destiny. Doug, Brent, thank you so much for your time, and uh, good luck. Good luck tonight. Thanks, Rob. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. That's uh, Doug Burgum, Brent Sanford, our next governor and lieutenant governor, I think. More to come straight ahead. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. That's a toll-free number. Email talk at WDAY. Dot com. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. I love you, babe. Welcome back. This is the Rob Report on WDAY, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. the election day edition you know i just wrote on the uh, i just wrote on the blog that um i i think one of the things that that gets overlooked we look at how rancorous this election cycle is has been uh and how much a lot of that is tied up in in who is running uh, for the white house uh, whether it's crooked hillary clinton or trump and his belligerent boorish personality uh that they've contributed a lot to it but i i think i really think there has been a trend and i think we just heard doug burgum talk about it for a moment i think that there's been a trend in in american politics towards more and more i don't know, meddlesome federal government uh presidents that that get involved in in every aspect of our lives and and believe you me uh presidents accumulating more and more executive power 
is not something that that starts with Barack Obama. That is a trend that goes back over multiple presidential administrations, both Republicans and Democrats alike. I think I think uh, Barack Obama though took it to, to bold new levels. Uh, whether it's you know meddling in school lunches, whether it's meddling with pipelines, whether it's meddling with school bathroom policy, I mean across the board, this president has not been afraid to be in our faces, to be involved in every aspect of our lives. And it, you want to talk about why national politics is growing more divisive, why national politics is growing uh, so so rancorous, so so awful in, in a lot of ways is because so much is riding on it. You know, we are a big, diverse country in every way that a country can be diverse, racially, politically, geographically, and yet increasingly we're trying to pass one-size-fits-all policies from the federal level for a country where, you know, you go from state to state, community to community, we have a lot of, you know, disparate views. That's hard. Uh, um, and I, I think... I, I think a lot of of what is driving the divisiveness at the national levels the national level the national level of our government is doing so much more it seems like every election cycle they're doing more and i i think if we want to get if we want to start turning down the heat turning down the rancor i think the federal government has got to do less i think we've got to get back to the states doing more we got to get back to to states being more in the driver's seats for policy and and leaving the federal government alone uh, leaving the federal government out of it restrained federal government that's how our country was found, founded sovereign states constitutionally restrained federal government um we don't have that um and it's uh, you know we're, we've been moving away from that and the further we move away from it i i think the more harm it's going to do to our national harmony um it's I, I think that's it. I mean, you could point and, and there's I mean, there's all sorts of other factors. I think social media is a big driver of this. Um, we're all I, I think we're a much more populous country now than we've been in a long, long time because of social media where people sort of have, you know, could organize themselves into a mob and, and really amplify their voices, which is, is great. It's wonderful in a lot of ways, but there's also implications for the way we're governed. I think sometimes we forget that how we're governed is as important as which policies we're governed by. The problem with this um, is that in order to to get back to the states being more in charge, we would have to rely on the egg egomaniacs, the power-hungry egomaniacs that we elect to federal office. In, In order to get back to where we were, we would have to rely on them to give up some of their power. And they're not about to do this. Now, I, I know a, a lot of my progressive friends out there are probably listening to this and thinking, oh, it's just another one of those conservative federalists, right? Just another one of those those Tenth Amendment nuts. But I, I, I know that a lot of people on the left are very worried about money and politics. Well, imagine this. Imagine if the politicians had less to sell. Imagine if the federal politicians had less to sell in terms of power, in terms of the policy that they could create. Wouldn't that be an effective firewall against policy? Right. If we did less at the federal level and more at the local level, it would diminish the power of that money in politics. Something to keep in mind as we go to the polls, something as we as we close out the books on a contentious election year. Maybe that's the path forward. Less at the federal level, more at the state level. Sounds like we're going to get a governor who believes that. 
701-293-9000, Tax Commissioner Ryan Rauschenberger on the show next. Don't go away. Listening to the Rob Report here on WDAY, 701-293-9000. your local number, 888-970-9329. You can email, too, talk at WDAY.com. Joining me now is Tax Commissioner Ryan Rauschenberger. And, Ryan, we're, we're coming through an election cycle. We've seen all sorts of uh, uh, campaign messaging, both national, statewide, local, you know, one one of the common themes of 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 the local messaging has been, uh, particularly uh, from from one political party, has been to focus on the oil tax uh, reform that passed in during the 2015 legislative session, and the claim that has been circulated is that uh, Republicans gave away uh, millions of dollars to oil companies. Uh, really, I, I think leaving voters with the impression that somehow um, oil companies in North Dakota since that reform has passed, have actually paid less money than they would have under the old reform. So I brought you on. I was hoping to uh, was hoping to uh, put some truth to the numbers, some facts behind those numbers. Uh, first, thanks for your time. Well, uh, good afternoon, Rob. Thanks for having me on, and uh, happy Election Day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, same, same to you. Yeah, so, um, t- well, I, t- t- yeah, I think tell you're right when it comes to the – I think there's a lot of misinformation that's uh, out there right now regarding the oil tax reform that was passed in 2015. Uh, And I think it's important to provide some clarity because the oil tax law is complicated, but really what's happened is uh, an incentive called the big trigger had been part of our oil tax law for decades. And that that triggered incentive basically reduced the oil extraction uh, extraction tax to to virtually nothing. Uh, It drastically lowered our extraction tax uh, in a low-price environment like we're in now. And that incentive was actually effective from 1987 to 2004. So that was the norm for, for decades, to have this extraction tax at a much, much reduced rate. But really, since 2004, prices have been high enough where the full extraction tax has been in place. But in, uh, two, in 2015, the legislature had the foresight uh, to eliminate the large trigger and lock it in place and lock the extraction tax in at 5% so it wouldn't fluctuate up and down and have these wild swings. And because of that, because the legislature had the foresight to lock it in at 5% and not let it drop to about 1%, 1.5% like it would be at right now, had the law not changed, um, we actually would be short $362 million just this year. So we've collected $362 million just in this calendar year because the legislature actually went in and reformed oil taxes. And that's those are the cold, that's the cold hard fact right there that we have um, actually generated more revenue because of the oil tax reform. When I, when, when we, when Democrats are challenged with this, and I've, I've certainly done that, they say that they have a report from legislative council which says otherwise, which says that 
the oil tax reform has or, or will, I guess, cost the state X amount of dollars. What are they talking about? Where are those numbers from? Well, I, you know, I, I have actually seen that. And basically what was requested is there was just a report requested from um, council saying, what, run the numbers again at uh, a full 11.5% like we were. Uh, the, the old total oil tax in the state was 11.5%. And now with uh, and now with the oil tax reforms, we're at ten. So what they did is they took parts of they took parts of House Bill 1476 and say, well, assume assume we would have got rid of the triggers, but kept the full six and a half percent extraction tax and not reduced it to five. So they're picking parts of the bill that passed and said, well, if you'd have just passed section one and section three, and not done the rest of it. Oh, it would have. It's we would have uh, collected more revenue. Well, that is just a hypothetical situation that did not happen. There was no. In, there was no other uh, legislation introduced to do what they're claiming. And I think that's what's important: is what passed has saved money for the state of North Dakota in this low-price environment. So that report was just a couple hypotheticals that they've now based all of these attack ads on, saying there was a reduction uh, in the extraction tax. Frankly, it would be about a 1% extraction tax rate instead of 5 right now. This is a huge tax increase. 701-293-9000, If you want to join the program, email talk at wday.com. Uh, so the 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 trigger that was in place that was eliminated by this legislation mm-hmm. would it have been it would have been in place all of this year? Yeah, actually, it would have started on January one. Act technically, it would have started in December, but the 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 whole new House Bill fourteen seventy six um, kicked in on January one. So the new rate, at, interestingly, the same time that we would have triggered under the old law. So what happens is I've I've looked at it this whole year. We'd still be triggered because we're under we're under fifty three. It'd be about a fifty three dollar trigger price this year under the law that was in place for decades. And we're clearly way under that. Today we're trading at $45. And so we're well under the trigger amount. And we, it's nine months now, or actually about ten months, that we would have been triggered had the legislature not um, taken action and got rid of the trigger. And that's where that $362 million comes from. You just compare the old law um, of being triggered and having almost no extraction tax to current law where we've got a solid, steady 5% extraction tax rate. And that's where that $362 million comes from. And based on our new forecast that we just uh, locked in some of the parameters last week, we, we don't think that we'd actually be up in the mid-50s where the law would have triggered off until later next year. So we're looking at probably another three to $400 million, um, that we actually will generate in additional revenue by next year. 701-293-9000, You know, I, I wrote my... my Sunday newspaper column about this, mm-hmm. and when I posted it on Facebook, uh, gubern- Democratic gubernatorial candidate Marvin Nelson kind of raked me over the coals about it, and he said it was these, uh, yeah, technically uh, the 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 policy, you know, we've actually collected more money, uh, but that's only because uh, you know these Republicans uh, timed it and and didn't, I, and I wasn't sure what exact point he was trying to make, but it was something along the lines that that Republicans had timed it, and the reason why they started it on January first was 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 to take advantage of this and. 
what, what what do they mean? I mean, what what is? I, I I guess I'm asking you to decipher something somebody else wrote on Facebook, but <laughs> well, I'm, I, I'm, I, try, I'm I trying to understand I, what they're. I think I know what he's getting at, but okay. I, what what happened? And when I when I mentioned the December January, there the the law that passed was complicated because it was a complicated law. The trigger laws were very very were very very complicated. And that's Arcane. what made this whole process. It makes it difficult to explain. But what happens is. Uh, you know, it takes five consecutive months of low oil prices for this, for this, uh, for the um, the old triggers to have come into effect. So it's a very, very tough hurdle to meet. It has to be low prices for five months. Uh, and and interestingly, after the session was done in 2015, um, it took I think July, August, September, October, November. Those five months in 2015 were all below um, 55, and we triggered. December 1. It would have triggered. But that was also the date. Interestingly, that was the exact same date that the new law went into effect. Uh, and that date was chosen purely because of, a, um, because of the fiscal note. That, that was basically pushed off um, mainly for technical reasons uh, in the session. So it really was, it's purely happenstance that the same date that the new law took effect was also happened to be just after five consecutive months of actually being below of the old trigger mark. So it's a lot, it's a weird uh, uh, coincidence that it all came to effect on that same date. We did not know, we, you know, we have, of course, have a forecast of oil prices, but we do not know exactly what oil prices are going to be six months in the future. That's yeah. why this is so unpredictable. Well, that's 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 been clear. Given how many times we've had to revise the the revenue right. forecast, nobody can guess where oil's going. Right. Um, Ryan, thanks for your time. Certainly appreciate you uh, coming on and helping clear that up. Thank you. Thanks, Rob. That's Tax Commissioner Ryan Rauschenberger. I'm Rob Port. You're listening to WDAY seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. More to come. Straight ahead. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob. Report on WDAY. Oh, the rest of the day is all going to be wild claims about vote fraud and everything else because it's election day, and that's what America does on election day. Everybody gets super uptight. You know, we got a report out of uh, Fargo that a bunch of college students, and you know, this actually, I wrote about this on the blog a few weeks back. The North Dakota University system put out a warning. To, to college students saying, you know, if, if you vote in your campus precinct and you sign an affidavit as part of that voting, uh, attesting that you're a resident of that district, you need to be careful because if your student aid, uh, for whatever reason, is contingent upon your residency being somewhere else, that affidavit could be used as, as proof to deny you that financial aid. Now, that's a, that's a reasonable warning to me. You know, if, if if your financial aid depends on you being a resident of Wisconsin or something, I don't know. I don't. Maybe you got a scholarship that says it's only for people from uh, some county in Iowa. I, I have no idea. But if for some reason, you know, you sign an affidavit and says, "Oh no, I live in Grand Forks or Fargo or what have you," and that's where I'm voting, you could lose that financial aid. That's a, you know, that that's that's a reasonable warning and when it came out people got upset with the North Dakota University system saying oh no you know you're you're trying to suppress the student vote <laughs> yeah the North Dakota University system's trying to suppress the student vote 
Uh, so that was a claim a few weeks ago. We'll flash forward to today, and now a bunch of NDSU students are claiming uh, somebody told them that if, if they signed an affidavit, they might be putting their financial aid at risk. Now, I don't know how true that is. I don't know if this is just another Election Day claim of the sort that we see every cycle, but maybe we shouldn't have gotten so upset several weeks ago when the North Dakota University system was warning students about this, was saying, hey, this might be something you want to check into while there's still time. And then you could figure out, will it impact my financial aid? Probably not. I would say most students would probably be just fine. But you could look into it. You could check. Is this going to be a problem? And if it is a problem, well, then maybe I could vote absentee uh, back from, from where I'm from in Wisconsin or Iowa or Minnesota or South Dakota or, you know, Morton County, North Dakota. Who knows? Um, you know, you can look into it. Honestly, we, we spend so much time pointing fingers and, and trying uh, which by the way uh, uh, one of the great things uh, which uh, funnily enough is still not over you know last night i posted on twitter that doug bergham was going to be on the program today and somebody asked i said wasn't that illegal i thought it was illegal to campaign on election day in north dakota and it's actually not since 2012 the federal judge struck a federal judge struck down a 100 plus year old law against electioneering in north dakota and not electioneering defined as pretty much talking with people about politics on election day up until 2012 north dakotans could have been committing a crime by engaging in political speech on election day now a federal judge in 2012 struck that down as blatantly wrong but to this day people think oh you can't you can't have your campaign signs up on on election day right because it's not like this is a free country or something i'm glad that law is gone i some people you know Say they liked it because it made everybody put their campaign signs up at the end. But listen, the First Amendment means the First Amendment. If you want to have your Donald Trump sign or your Hillary Clinton sign or whatever on your lawn until Valentine's Day, well, it's your property. You have the right to do that if you want to. Hey, we'll be uh, on air tomorrow talking about the election results. I'm sure there'll be plenty to talk about. Until then, catch me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. At sayanythingblog.com. Jay Thomas Show. Straight ahead. Stay tuned for that. We'll talk again.